What we learned about the 2021 Wolverines from Big Ten Football Media Days next on this week's edition of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it. Get it. Touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got it. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Kohler. The five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schembechler. And here's your first play. Pressure coming. Sack. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan Welcome to a new season of Michigan Podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Good to have all of you with me. We'll be joined by our good friend and maybe the one and only reasonable bucknut, Mark Rogers, the voice of college football right here on YouTube. He'll be joining us coming up in the next segment of the program. But Big Ten Football Media Days for the first time at Lucas Oil Stadium there in Indianapolis where the Big Ten Championship game is played. Uh, For the first time, uh, we had those events last week, and we learned some things during Big Ten Football Media Days about the 2021 Wolverines, some things that stood out to me. Let's discuss them now, shall we? To me, I've got five big takeaways. Let's start with this one, number one. By the way, I love that tie. Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, I thought was as engaging and forthcoming, as I can ever remember. Now, in fairness, that is a low, low bar. Okay? I mean, um, you can watch Jim attempt to talk to fans, media. He could space off, um, just ignore you all together, uh, walk off. Uh, this is This is not Mr. Congeniality. You know, um, this ain't the guy who once did a guest appearance on Saved by the Bell, <laughs> right? But we actually saw 
a guy like with answers who was forthcoming and, you know, gave you specifics, some of which we'll get into here in a moment, who was self-aware, um, who looked to, um, uh, uh, to treat people well, even if he didn't necessarily like the question. Um, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know why it's taken like seven years. At the very least, it's the most engaging and forthcoming he's been since his uh, press conference announcing his hiring. But uh, uh, it was good to see. I don't think there you have to, you know, uh, behave that way in public in order to be a great coach. I, I just don't. Um, and, and I think we've learned, at least at Michigan here the last seven years, behaving that way in public doesn't necessarily make you a great coach. But uh, it was good to see. I don't know if it's part of the renewed energy. Uh, I don't know if maybe he's like, crap, man, I need some allies. I, I don't – who knows – who knows? But we actually got to talk to Jim Harbaugh, not a construct or, you know, just a blank slate for the last couple of days. So that was good to see. Uh, the second thing that stood out to me about Big Ten football media days where Michigan's concerned is Harbaugh repeatedly said this year's coaching staff has more, and I quote, trust. This word came up quite a bit and on both sides of the ball. And if you're going to highlight the word that much, I think we can only be left with the conclusion, therefore, that if this year's staff of newbies you, makes you feel as if there's more trust amongst the coaching staff, then that would at least seem to imply vis-a-vis -vis, by extension that last year's coaching staff lacked that trust. Clearly, something was broken inside the Michigan football program. They were not a good team last year by any reasonable measure. They also put 10 guys in the NFL, several of whom, yes, they were. several of them were people who set out like Ambry Thomas and Nico Collins, but several of them were guys who also played, and they still weren't any good. They, they should have been better than what we saw given the talent on the roster. So this would at least be some form of prima facie evidence that there was indeed a cultural problem internally within the staff. Now, it's been addressed. Whether it's been fixed, we don't know. That's why they play the games. We'll find out. Number three on this list, uh, Athletics Director Ward Manuel may have been directly involved in the offseason coaching staff overhaul. Now, that's not speculation from me. Jim Harbaugh said this. Jim Harbaugh, when asked about new defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, Flat out said and offered unprompted. Uh, no one would ask him, hey, did your AD sit down on meetings and interview your assistant coaching hires? That's not typically what happens, particularly at big time college football programs like Michigan or with coaches with big time reputations like a Jim Harbaugh. But in this case, Harbaugh himself offered up that Ward Manuel interviewed, also interviewed Mike McDonald for defensive coordinator. I wonder if that implies... Also, by extension, that Ward Manuel had a stake in the overall reshuffling of the coaching staff, and that was part of his assessment process, that those individual meetings that him and Harbaugh were having last December while the rest of us were wondering what's his status and the status of his uh, contract now that it's expired, maybe some of those meetings were the two of them actually interviewing coaching candidates or even vetting a list of coaching candidates. This would seem to indicate more direct involvement and oversight of the football program by Michigan's athletics director, which I think is welcome, but probably is also a little bit awkward given that they were also former teammates here at Michigan. All right, number four on the list. 
uh, of things that stood out for us from Big Ten Football Media Days. A lot of talk about being disrespected and proving last year was a fluke. Now, hey, I'm not the guy that, you know, I'm not doing the whole uh, guys are bigger, faster, and stronger than they were last year. I mean, that's just some slap, you know, slap phallus content, man. Okay? That's just for slappies out there. And and you write that when there's nothing else to write, and you're just, you know, throwing red meat out there. No no team's ever going to show up and say, I got to tell you, man. We're, we're smaller, fatter, and slower than we were a year ago. I think we're totally effed out here this fall. No one's going to do that, okay? And I don't want to buy too much into this talk, which is why it's number four on the list and not number one. But I thought it should have at least been mentioned because it came up quite a bit, but especially from the three players, Hassan Haskins, Aiden Hutchinson, and James Ross, uh, the three players that uh, that attended uh, on behalf of the Michigan football program, they brought this up quite a bit and stressed this quite a bit amongst themselves. We can only hope that indicates they've been doing so internally as a team this offseason, and we'll see results this fall on the field that seem to indicate that. But again, no one's ever going to say, hey, I, I really feel totally respected. I'm not really extra motivated at all. I think we've arrived. No one's going to do that. No one's going to say, hey, we're slower, fatter, and, and, and worse than we were last year. No one's going to do that. So you take these comments with a grain of salt, and you just hope that this is something that is permeated throughout the ranks of an entire program that didn't just look stale last year. Uh, it looked defeated. And then finally, if we're going to get into to more of the on-field stuff in terms of personnel it's clearly Cade McNamara's quarterback job to lose now I like this and I don't Uh, I I like the more forthcoming Um, I also don't think he has demonstrated a capability worthy of this but you can also use this to motivate the guys behind him looking at you J.J. McCarthy and and then maybe Alan Bowman uh, the transfer from Texas Tech you use this to motivate them I mean, I have a hard time believing a J.J. McCarthy goes out there and clearly overperforms and outperforms Cade, Mac- Mac- Cade McNamara for three and a half weeks during fall camp that he's not going to be the starting quarterback. But when you look at McNamara's, you look at what he's done, his production, he had a good half against Rutgers, but it was Rutgers, man, Rutgers, okay? His numbers against Penn State before the arm injury, wasn't he like 12 out of 20 for something like 80 yards or 90 yards? I mean, those numbers weren't great. So on one hand, it signals again it, 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 you know, that uh, we're being more forthcoming around here as opposed to, hey, let's bring back a guy that nearly set the all-time Michigan pass efficiency mark and then not tell you all next offseason if he's the starting quarterback or not. That's what they did with Shea Patterson in 2019. But that can also be a message sender to J.J. McCarthy and Alan Bowman. I just don't know what Cade McNamara has done on the field to merit that level of confidence, especially when you're talking about a guy behind him in in Bowman who has over 5,000 career passing yards. And in J.J. McCarthy, he's the highest-rated quarterback recruit the school has brought in at least since Chad Henney, maybe Drew Henson. So we shall see. That's why they have fall training camp. All right, we'll come back after this break. We'll find out what Mark Rogers thought about these takeaways and, and elsewhere, things that stood out to him about Big Ten Football Media Days next. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast because you 
make these episodes possible with your support. And we get asked all the time, hey, we love what you guys do. How can we support you? Well, for just $5 a month, you can support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And hey, college basketball may be done, but now we're into the Major League Baseball handicapping. And we had an outstanding season in Major League Baseball last year. We had a pretty good season in college basketball this year as well, as you can see right there from something we recently posted on our Patreon page. So $5 a month to get some pretty good sports handicapping and opportunity to win some money. Like when we recommended you take before the tournament, Baylor six to one to win the national championship. You saw that thing pay off, right? Well, your $5 a month pays off when you support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. Back with another edition of the 10-Minute War, and that means we welcome in our good friend and Ohio State fan, but we won't hold that against him. Mark Rogers, who has a fantastic college football channel right here on YouTube. If you haven't yet checked it out and you are a college football nut, now's the time you want to do so. He's got connections to beat writers as well all over the country, and if you are into college football handicapping, i got to tell you, I ain't bad at it. Mark's record is actually better. All right, so you definitely, he might make you some money on top of keeping you informed and entertained as well. Mark, good to see you, brother. How you been? Steve, you need to make those comments earlier in the uh, off season because the pressure's on. We're only five weeks away, so I'm going to have to back this up. I have, that's, you know, I just gave you the dreaded Tony La Russa vote of confidence. You know what that means. Absolutely. I'm throwing a no-hitter. There's a couple outs in the seventh right yeah. now. Yeah, don't blow it, kid. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. All right, so I definitely want it since you're here. We're definitely going to talk about what's gone on with the Big 12, the SEC, and what it means for the wider college football landscape because I actually think that what the Big 10 decides to do next is going to probably determine the long-term future of college football. We'll get into that, though. Let's start with with uh, some takeaways from Big Ten football media days, uh, With the starting with, of course, being this Mich- is Michigan podcast with the Wolverines. Uh, you saw what I highlighted earlier, uh, whether it's it, it certainly seems as, it's as, as if it's Cade McNamara's starting quarterback job to lose. Harbaugh openly admitting without being asked that Ward Manuel was involved at the very least in interviewing uh, def- new defensive coordinator, uh, Mike McDonald, so I, I would bet that would mean on some level he's probably involved with the wider staff decisions holistically uh, as well. Uh, I thought we saw a much friendlier and engaging Harbaugh. I mean, you, you saw the things that I kind of highlighted. Which of those sticks out the most to you, or maybe a couple of them do, and why? Well, first of all, with Jim Harbaugh's approach to the news conference, I actually f- felt strongly enough to the point that as soon as I got done watching Jim Harbaugh's news conference in Indianapolis, I posted a video on it because he didn't say anything that I found cringeworthy. He was not quirky. He was not awkward. It was not clumsy in any way. And certainly he typically hits that patch at some point in responding to somebody's question where he hits that stretch. And I did not see any of that. He did not look like he was in any, uh, ridiculous way trying to look too confident Mm -hmm. or trying to sell something he seemed very authentic about their issues about their problems about what they're working through about what the coaching staff currently looks like and what he likes about it what he likes about the vibe in the room amongst the coaches I, i thought it was very authentic i liked his comment about uh his brother saying I am giving up Mike McDonald because I love you and I love Michigan football and I want to see you succeed. 
Uh, I thought that was a little heart-touching moment in a Harbaugh sort of way. Didn't last long, and it wasn't too too drippy or sappy or over the top, but it just gave you a little brother-to-brother connection there. Can you draw any conclusions about what you're going to see on the field this fall from any of this? Or could you at least say that there's a level of self-awareness there that perhaps has been lacking for the last couple of years. And maybe that gives you a little more optimism in that at least they're addressing, because if they're addressing it to us in such a friendly, engaging, open, transparent, forthright, you know, um, level, then of course they're, they've already addressed these things internally at far beyond the level of forthrightness they're going to show us. Right. So do you get a little bit more like, okay, you know, maybe if if they're being this upfront about this, showing this much self-awareness publicly, privately, they vetted a lot of these issues. Doesn't mean they came up with the right solutions, right? But a lot of times, half the battle is just admitting what the problems are. What are your thoughts on that? Or am I just reaching here because it's almost, uh, you know, it's almost time to kick off the season? Well, we will never know until they actually do kick off the season and then the performance is there for all to see. Mm-hmm. But... I think that there is a healthy tension. There is a healthy uh, working out of ideas and processes in any organization and certainly in football amongst coaching staffs. So he spoke to that. And I've not necessarily heard it to that degree where that was the one portion of uh, his address at the podium that I found the most interesting in regards to him being actually specific. So there's a lot of coach speak. Much of this uh, involving media days is just pomp and circumstance, and it's hard to get anything out of these guys that is really meaningful. But I thought when they talked about, first of all, that he liked Mike McDonald because he revamped the Baltimore Ravens defense, that he saw uh, enough there that he was the mastermind of revamping what they did. Also, that um, I-, I liked the comment that he made about McDonald and the other coaches looking for being able to identify traits and qualities in players to, to match their assignments. And, and he really explained what coaches can do well and how they work together as a team and that team dynamic that doesn't get explained very often and very being very forthright about there being arguments in the room mm-hmm. that's healthy and that's where there's growth is when there's tension, there is growth as long as it's healthy. So they got a fighting chance in that regard from a coaching staff that both of I, both of us looked at and thought, hmm, that's kind of strange the way they threw that together. All right, let's let's expand a little bit. What stood out to you as a whole beyond Michigan? from Big Ten football media days. The fact that Scott Frost seemed to do his best Jim Harbaugh impersonation, like he wanted to be anywhere on earth, perhaps even a basement in Pyongyang, than at Big Ten football media days, <laughs> answering questions from people. Uh, a very confident Pat Fitzgerald, despite all the personnel losses on there. He's saying, hey, I think this might be the most talented and deepest team I've had here at Northwestern. That kind of that kind of caught my eye a little bit. Um, I, I thought Mel Tucker... And I I know what people are going to say because it's Michigan podcast, but man, Mel Tucker, and I, I think I tweeted this, 
reminded me of watching Jeb Bush in the last presidential primary. He's got like a list of of, of catchphrases. He want, the consultant said, make sure you say all these things. And he's just trying to awkwardly and mix them all in. I mean, he had so many cliches, so many catchphrases that it just seemed like he kind of went up there with like an agenda which everybody kind of has, but he was like a slave to it. Like it wasn't conversational. It was just like check all these boxes and say all these things. I think Kevin Warren came across uh, more likable than I anticipated, although granted, let's face it, uh, standards there were pretty low where that was coming in. I mean, but what stood out to you? Well, I wanted Kevin Warren to be more forthright with some type of statement to say I messed up. Because great leaders are able to do that. They're able to say, this was a situation, this was a crisis, this was a situation nobody foresaw, and we did not handle it the best. And I learned from that. No, instead he said, I don't regret anything. Mm. I wouldn't have done anything differently. How can any sane, reasonable, logical person say that they would not have done anything differently when you stated we are not playing football and a few weeks later you reversed course and played football and put together a season? Obviously, any reasonable person, including Kevin Warren behind closed doors, would have stated, yeah, I made a mistake because that should have never been stated. Because it wasn't completely off the table, there was a faction out there, fans, parents, players, coaches, that made us play football. So it happened. So I should have never said that. Or that's a tacit admission that he wasn't the one calling those shots, right? That, hey, I'm the guy that got thrown out there to be the public relations human shield, but I didn't make any of those decisions. And if they were up to me, that's why my kid was playing at Mississippi State last year, even though it looked like we weren't going to play, that, hey, I'm not the one that was – it could be a, a tacit admission of that. And this was his attempt to kind of on a unilaterally enhance or improve his image amongst uh, Big Ten media and fans. And I do – find interesting ever since he was hired at Nebraska, the correlation, the connection, the similar traits just regarding the situation involving Scott Frost at Nebraska and Jim Harbaugh at Michigan to be rather intriguing. Mm-hmm. You know, favorite sons coming back uh, to, to rebuild the power and then the success that they both showed Jim Harbaugh more so, but at other stops to where those were both I hate to use this term, but it's out there. Slam dunk hires. Yeah. Uh, This is exactly what everybody, I don't know anybody out there that did not applaud those hires, that they didn't seem obvious based on everything coming together and them being the perfect man for the job. And uh, the, the returns on Scott Frost are much worse at this point than Jim Harbaugh for sure. Uh, Trev Alberts uh, being named the athletic director at Nebraska is an interesting hire because that on the surface seems to be, an obvious choice and a successful That was selection. Frost's entire opening statement was uh, was giving a shout-out to Trev Alberts. <laughs> that was pretty noticeable. All right, before we put Big Ten Media Days to bed and go to a larger conversation about the future of the sport, is there a team on either end, and it can be you had one on either end, that you came in there thinking less of, that you're like, you heard something, you're like, huh, I hadn't thought about that. I'm, I'm rethinking my position. Or a team in the Big Ten that you were like, I was really high on this team, and then I kind of listened to them break everything down. I'm like, eh, I'm not so sure. I mean, for me, it was Northwestern. Uh, I mean, Fitzgerald, to me, seemed just alpha-level confident. Like, it wasn't – it seemed like P.J. Flick was con- trying to contrive expectations for his team, like really laying it on thick. And that's part of his 
persona. I get that. But even on top of that, it seemed like he was he was kind of trying too hard to raise their expectations, where I thought Fitz kind of walked in with some swag. He's like, yeah, I'm, I know who we got. We think we're good. Um, so now maybe Steve, it just could be I have a man crush on Pat Fitzgerald. Like that could be, you know, what's well, what's causing me to think this way. I've been accused of the same thing because I've ranked him as the best coach in the Big Ten, even with the likes of Ryan Day uh, at 23 and 2. Uh, so don't give me the answer before you end asking the question because Pat Fitzgerald was my guy mm. and Northwestern, my guy, uh, not just because of the way he looked at Big Ten Media Days and what he had to say. It's more just about me gathering some nuggets along the way during the offseason about Northwestern maybe having more on the field than I, I'm going to have to do a really deep dive because unlike you, I haven't unveiled all my predictions yet. They're coming out piecemeal. So that was not necessarily based on Pat Fitzgerald's address at Big Ten Media Days, but just overall in recent weeks, I've been on the Northwestern uh bandwagon in regards to reevaluating Northwestern football. I also think that Pat Fitzgerald may not necessarily be that super confident about this edition, but I just think he's arrived at a place at Northwestern where he's yeah, got so much equity point. there. He's the guy. Yep. And uh, regardless, he can talk up his team and make them feel good and make them feel like they can pull this off and be better than expected. All right, let's get to, of course, one of the most shocking stories in college football history, one of them in recent sports history. It is very difficult to blindside everybody, particularly in today's media environment with a story of this magnitude and the amount of people that had to have known, and yet it didn't come out until right during SEC media days. Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12. They've now made it official they are leaving and and applying for membership to the SEC, which seems like a mere formality now we don't have meltdowns in state legislatures like we did at the you know the previous round of realignment or the original formation of the big 12 in the in the mid 90s so this looks like a pretty done deal now first of all your thoughts on this particular move and then we'll have a a a broader discussion about what happens to the future of college football because i i really think the big 10 is going to have a major say in that but your thoughts when you heard this move I don't blame the SEC. I don't blame Oklahoma or Texas. They're they're doing what sound business people do. Makes total sense for them. For the greater good of the game, I hate it. Yeah. I despise it. I agree. College football, more so than any other sport, but certainly um, I take more away from college football than the other sports. But uh, think about uh, the, the brand – of play that you see on the field and everything connected to the field. There is a flavor. There's a personality. There's a vibe surrounding big 10 football surrounding sec football. People dismiss PAC 12 football today, but growing up, there was always something about PAC 12 football that made it different because those things are not just a product on the field, but they go beyond that. They go to the culture of those regions, the music, the food they eat, their values, their beliefs, how they live, how they express themselves, all that was reflected in the football. And now that's being completely eroded piece by piece by piece. So this Oklahoma-Texas move to the SEC, geographically, yes, it's a reach. Um, and in regards to all those things, it's a bit of a reach. If it was done in a silo, it wouldn't be so god-awful. But it's not done in a silo. 
we're going to have to tear up the Big 12. It's going to be torn up. It's never going to be the same. Even if they're able to salvage something, it's going to be an American conference in the Southwest. So it's going to tear up college football elsewhere. The dominoes are going to fall. We've heard all the crazy possible scenarios. So if this was done in a silo, it's not good because the SEC is going to be too strong for the rest of college football, but it's not done in a silo. So it continues to tear apart the very fabric of the culture of college football. Texas has the number one revenue generating athletics department in the country. I believe you and I's two schools are two and three on that list. Um, Oklahoma's in the top eight, I believe. They were both also in leagues that let them do whatever they want. Texas could have its own its own network. Um, I mean, they just had a, a, th- a two-day debate at Big 12 Media Days about whether dissing Texas's uh, fan chant is a 15-yard penalty or not. I mean, this is a league that would base that just basically slutted itself out for Texas and Oklahoma. They could have absolutely anything they wanted and – and in the last decade, Texas averaged seven wins a season and went through three head coaches. And uh, uh, and, and I get you're going to make $20, 25000000 million more a year. How much more money, though, do you need when you're already number one? Texas's track facilities are better than a lot of schools' football facilities. So I, if you're a Texas fan, I, hey, cool. I, I, don't, I, I guess enjoy that um, even if you get your stuff together, you might still be like the fourth or fifth best program in the SEC every year. And then if you have another decade like this one, you're like the seventh, eighth, or ninth. But hey, I guess they'll be selling shirts at the Texas, you know, website. You know, we made twenty million more a year. I guess you all will buy those while you know you're the you're a middle of the pack football program. Oklahoma won the Big Twelve six years in a row and now wants to just go ahead. Let's just let everybody come in and come and recruit against us in Texas for the best players that we're getting out of there. I I, I don't other than money, and, and I understand money is a big thing. I don't do anything for free unless it's, you know, donate money. And then I had to get money. I had to earn it to do that, right? But there, these, these, schools are, these two schools are already making ungodly sums of money. They were never, ever wondering where their next meal was coming from. And in exchange, they just took on a lot harder path to get to where both of their fan bases sort of expect them to go and I, I, I just don't understand why another 20 to 25 million a year is going to justify from a fan output perspe- perspective. I don't really give a rip what Texas's athletic department draws if we if you know we're sitting here in the Music City Bowl every damn year. I don't understand that. So, yes, uh, Texas, since they stepped off the field with Alabama at the 09 BCS championship game is 78 and 61, seven and six. That's that's a seven and six winning percentage. It's they're almost exactly five and four in the Big Twelve if you look at that composite uh, of stretch of time. That five and four, if you look at the gimmies in the league yeah. versus the assured losses, and then all the toss ups in the middle that are going to go Texas against Texas uh, less often than they did obviously in the Big Twelve. That five and four average season in the big 12 if they don't write the ship and do something fast is going to become three and six in a nine game sec season and those seven and sixes are going to be five and sevens and four and eights in the regular season i don't know if that's going to happen because they may be able to up the ante in recruiting like texas a&m did because they can say we play in the sec so maybe oklahoma and texas got tired of owning the big 12 i guess 
maybe they got tired of, on a national scale, hearing about that the, that the SEC is always getting the attention and Big 12 football only gets attention when those two teams are on the same field and maybe two other three other times a year. Maybe they were tired of hearing that and want, they want to go play with the big boys and maybe that $25 million and who knows what the estimation is with their value added to the league uh, means that much to them. So I think where this goes from here, whether this is a nuclear scenario or a a massively lucrative power play by one league that's a singular event is going to be determined by what the Big Ten thinks. And I think right now the Big Ten is probably having an internal dialogue of whether this was just an organic circumstance of these two teams in an otherwise going nowhere league who just decided to go for a big payday and of their own volition just called the SEC up one day six months ago or back in December, I think it was, and, and this is just a singular uh, acquisition. I think if the Big Ten thinks that, I think it may do nothing. If the Big Ten thinks that, especially as now we're seeing headlines, the SEC may be generating as much annually now as the with these two additions as the NCAA was as a whole, 1.1 to 1.3 billion with a B dollars. If the Big Ten thinks that this is now... Mike Slive and the SEC are deciding, hey, the SEC, the NCAA is done, and it is done. Uh, it'll be lucky if it hangs around to regulate the basketball tournament and Olympic sport events at this point. So we're the new NCAA. And we might call, who knows, maybe we'll call Michigan and Ohio State up and say, hey, do you guys want in on a Super League? If the Big Ten thinks this is an attempt at, S- the SEC's making an attempt at hegemony here, then I think you could see them essentially attempt to create a super conference of the remaining AAU schools. What I mean by AAU, academic, or the um, oh, I can't remember the American Academic Union. I think is what it is, or something like that. These are research, largely research and land grant universities. Not all of them, but for those of you that don't know, and you start looking at the big kind of money that Big Ten and SEC teams make. Brother, that's the, that's the gross domestic product of a small Latin American country. It's a lot of money. The research grants and, 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 and endowments that these AAU schools have, those are, that's, the, that's the gross domestic product of not a small metro Central American country, of Central America. It's at a totally different level. And I could see Big Ten presidents say, hey, at, we, we, don't need, we don't really care at this point about TV share. We're not going to let Kansas, Iowa State, other schools that are members of our AAU get hung out to dry here. So we're going to bring them into the fold and protect them and their, and their, and their, and their institutions against what, uh, what the good old boys down south are attempting to do. Uh, I, or they go get, uh, they form like an alliance with the AAU schools and the Pac-12. In order to, because those two conferences have been aligned from the very beginning, they form with Jim Delaney almost had like a strategic partnership between the two leagues a decade ago. And they do something like that again, where we just play them in the non-conference and we just have rotating schedules and we share that TV revenue with Fox, our, our mutual partner who's based in LA. I, I think, and I think all of those things are come down to what does the Big Ten think the SEC's end game is here? What do you think, so Mark? The- the Big Ten, for once, Steve, cannot be conservative. It's got a conservative history in decision-making, and that I don't say in a critical way most of the time. But it's time not to be conservative because I believe that we're headed in the direction 
that you're talking about in regards to mega super conferences and the SEC has a huge step and lead on everybody else. So when we went through this about 10 years ago with Colorado and Utah and Nebraska and Texas A&M and Missouri and then Maryland and Rutgers followed later, there was a logical progression to much of that and most of that based on geography and based on what made sense. I'm not being able to follow any of that going forward based on some of the rumors I'm hearing. And of course, some of them are just rumors, but I think a lot of it is based on what is possible in today's landscape that these leagues may jump geography regions and grab schools. Um, I do believe that uh, the Big Ten is going to have to make a big play here. And of course, I view it from a market money and football standpoint the academic standpoint is certainly enormous as well and the big 10 has has certainly pushed back and uh neglected to move on some schools in the past because of that right nebraska is the only school in our league that's not it's by the way it's the association of american universities at a brain fart there nebraska is the only school in our league that's not in that aau they were when we brought them in but because their med school isn't attached to campus they were thrown out Adam Rittenberg at ESPN is reporting that um, the Big Ten, if it expands, will only consider AAU-associated schools. I, I think that's probably true. I, I, I think our league, we saw this last year, our league and the Pac-12 are really the only two leagues left now where the university presidents are ascendant in any way, shape, or form. And I just, I just don't believe that they're going to just like oh, – uh, like I could see them like leave the Big 12 alone so as to not disintegrate it and try to go for AAU schools in the ACC like Virginia, Georgia Tech instead. I, I really think that they will, that academics will play, a, academic identity will play a major role in this. Like there was a story out the other day about Oklahoma State. I don't think there's any chance of that happening. Okay. No way. Now with like the 187th rated university in the country, that's 50 someone that's like 50 slots below Nebraska. I don't I don't see that happening. I think that they will that academics will play a major role if they decide to expand at all. I agree with you because that's been the past and I think the Big 10 just showed us again last season during COVID. These these conferences revealed themselves yeah. during that decision making process. There's no question about that. SEC was going to play at all costs. ACC, ACC was going to play if it could come right up with a them. with a professional narrative. The Big 12 was kind of, you know, waiting to see what the ACC and SEC were going to do. The Big 10 and Pac-12 followed their university presidents and went off and charted their own course. I agree with you. I think we kind of saw everybody's DNA and everybody's true ecosystem in uh, via COVID, and I think that's how this particular thing will play itself out. That's why I think I don't. That's why I can't predict what the Big Ten will do, because I don't know what the presidents think the SEC is trying to do. Because I think they'd prefer to do nothing. I think they would and, prefer and, to do nothing. Oh, I think that's what they would prefer to do. And just to to further your point uh, that we went down that road in regards to the COVID season showing us uh, the DNA of these conferences, the Big Ten showed us to be fractured, Mm -hmm. that there is a division, there's a gap between academia and the fan base and the culture of the conference, the players, the coaches, the the working people, the working class versus (laughs) the ones that make the decisions. There is a major gap. Final question for you. S- Mike's uh, Mike or Greg Sankey. I almost said Mike Slive, the former commissioner of the SEC. Greg Sankey calls up. I know you had, y'all got a new president there at, at Ohio State. She was actually just debuting when this was all going on last year. 
But uh, Greg Sankey calls up your new president there at Ohio State and says, let's roll. What happens? I don't think Ohio State uh, leaves the Big Ten, but I think that they would certainly be talking to the Big Ten and saying, hey, what what is the future of this conference? What are we thinking? Where is the direction going? How aggressive are we going to be? What are the factors involved versus money, academics, football, put all those together. What's going to win? Who are we targeting? Where are those talks? I want a very specific yeah. roadmap to what's going on right now and what the plans are. And you better be telling me the truth. I, You know, Michigan fans, and I've said it too, we've said for years, the closest thing we have in our league to the SEC is Ohio State. And it is that is true. But it also really isn't close to Ohio to the SEC at the same time. Meaning, the the culture of Ohio State is closer to the SEC than Michigan is, but it's also not the same as the culture in Alabama, Auburn, or those places. For example, Ohio State's now raised its academic standing. I think it's number fifty three overall among universities. You'd be like the number one rated school in the SEC, dude. Other than the, among, among the public universities, I mean, obviously Vanderbilt's number one, but among the public universities, until Texas gets in, you guys would be one of the highest-rated academic schools in that league. And in our in our league, you're kind of considered middle tier. So while culturally you might be cl- the closest thing we have to them, you guys really don't fit with them down there either. I think. I don't think so. And if that happens, my goodness, then we're talking about, as you well know, as a baseball fan. And I'll leave it at this. And I know that the parallels aren't perfect, but the New York Yankees need the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, you can't just play yourself all the time. Yes. Yes, you can't play yourself all the time. The New York Yankees have an inherent advantage over everybody else because they've got 20 million people surrounding so they can make more money. We don't have to go through all the ways, but they can make more money than the Kansas City Royals. They don't need to operate their baseball team any better. It doesn't mean they're any smarter. They just go out and grab the best players because they make so much money. But you need the entire structure to be healthy to run Major League Baseball. I believe the same thing in college football. And for the SEC to be three times better than everybody else, it's also going to weaken recruitment in the Big Ten at the highest levels as well. Ohio State's going to lose a lot of cachet if the SEC becomes that big and to another degree Michigan, Penn State, etc. in going into these living rooms in Texas and Florida. Uh, Now it's going to be diminished. So it's not just a matter of Texas and Oklahoma being attached to the SEC making them stronger. It's a lot of ramifications from that. Great stuff, Mark, as always, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Take care, okay? Appreciate it, Steve. You bet. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast because you make these episodes possible with your support. And we get asked all the time, hey, we love what you guys do. How can we support you? Well, for just $5 a month, you can support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And hey, college basketball may be done, but now we're into the Major League Baseball handicapping. And we had an outstanding season in Major League Baseball last year. We had a pretty good season in college basketball this year as well, as you can see right there from something we recently posted on our Patreon page. So five $5 a month to get some pretty good sports handicapping, an opportunity to win some money like when we recommended you take before the tournament, Baylor 6-1 to one to win the national championship. You saw that thing pay off, right? Well, your $5 a month pays off when you support us at patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast.
This week's Twitter poll results. Whoa, look at these results. What coordinator do you have the most confidence in heading into the season? 73.8% said Mike McDonald, who has never, ever coordinated. Yikes, 26.2% said Josh Gaddis, who we have seen now two seasons of coordination. And I think probably after you've seen those two seasons, you're like, I've, that's too much coordination for me. The other guy hasn't coordinated yet. He still has to be better than what we've seen out of Gaddis, except for like three games against, you know, three so-so teams in 2019. So I, I probably also would have voted for McDonald, but that margin is so lopsided. I mean, wow. Because, folks, it's not going to be the improvement of the defense that's going to decide whether this year's team is better or not or how better they are. It's going to be how explosive the offense is. There are, just, there are some limitations on defense. They're just not going to have your classic two-gap plugger at nose tackle. And no, don't tell me some, you know, broke-down transfer from Oregon State who couldn't play there is your guy. He's not. If we get any quality snaps out of him, thank the maker. You take that guy because you're desperate for help. If Michigan had the kind of players they want up front to run this defense, they wouldn't be taking a guy with this questionable medical and production history from Oregon State. They're taking him because they're desperate. So this, I think the defense can improve and still be like, you know, 40th or 50th in the country. There's just some personnel limitations there. Offense, though, there's a lot better personnel and more depth and explosiveness there. They, they really need this to finally look like a modern college football offense where they could throw for 300 yards every week if they wanted to. They, they need it to look like that. If they don't, well, I think we all know what that means. This week's feedback of the week to follow up on that poll, Don Sean. I love that name, Don Sean. Uh, he says it's McDonald, honestly, for him in terms of who he's more confident in. He comes recommended, actually got vetted. He did. We know Ward Manuel vetted him. We talked about that earlier. Um, he's vetted by John Harbaugh, who you probably trust more at this point than Jim. But Josh Gaddis just got the job over a phone call. That is a true story, by the way. Jim Harbaugh had never met Josh Gaddis. Josh Gaddis didn't even know Jim Harbaugh knew who he was. And when it was he was about to leave Alabama to go with Mike Loxley at Maryland, Harbaugh called him out of the blue and offered him the OC job over the phone. With Don Sean, first of all, don't, don't mess with Don Magic Sean. Don't do that. Don't fade Don Sean. You can't fade him. But Don Sean is correct. That is how Josh Gaddis got the job. He also says, and furthermore, I'll never have completely, tr- I'll never have complete trust in a, co- in a coach again that was airing it out more than, tw- that wasn't airing it out more than twice a game to Nico Collins. I mean, that is just mystifying why they weren't just throwing it up to Nico all of the time. I mean, Penn State Road throwed up to one or two wide receivers all the way to a Rose Bowl at a Big Ten championship back in 2016. I, None of those guys were as, as imposing physically as Nico Collins. I, I have no idea why Josh Gaddis did not do that. But clearly I'm not alone, which is why 73% of you have more confidence in a coordinator who hasn't actually coordinated anything yet. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. And notice I said this week's.
We're back at it again now that the season is nigh with weekly episodes. Until then, make sure you follow us at Michigan Podcast on Twitter. Remember, like, rate, subscribe, share, follow, five-star review, whichever the case may be. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, etc., please do that because it helps us to get the word out to find more Michigan fans like you. Until the next time here on Michigan Podcast, I'm Steve Dace. Go on.